All right. Good morning. Are you glad you've been in the house of the Lord? It is good to be here today. And thank you so much for all the incredible birthday wishes. I thank the Lord for that. I am very grateful. First off, I'm thankful for our worship team. I asked David uh, Wednesday night sometime. I said, hey, do you think we could pull off I Saw the Light? He said, yeah, I think we can do that. And boy, we rocked. It was awesome. It's just great. And uh, so it's just, it's just awesome. And this, and this wonderful family that we've got. I want you to know I appreciate. Uh, Brent and I have been here forever. And Dave's fastly approaching forever. And uh, you guys are wonderful folks. Thank you so much for being who you are. We don't say that enough. We really don't. And uh, thank you so much for being the church family that you are. And today we want to talk about Epiphany. Epiphany. Uh, one of our members, Jane, came up to me and said, Hey, I'm glad you're preaching on the Epiphany. I said, Well, we're not actually preaching on the Epiphany because she comes from a different uh, religious background and uh, they celebrate Epiphany and we don't really do Epiphany at all, okay? But Epiphany is both a day and an event, okay? And it is what happened was uh, back, right after, man, right after the birth of Jesus, like, you know, the first 300 years, are you ready for this? The first 300 years, Christmas was January the 6th. How about that? Did y'all know that? Yeah, first 300 years. They had it, and, and they celebrated the fact that the wise men, of course, they didn't get this right, but the wise men showed up on January 6th, and it was called Epiphany. Epiphany. And sometime, about 300 years, one of the popes said, you know what, I think we ought to change that. And I think he kind of flipped a coin, and December 25th came up. And, you know, that's how it ended up on December 25th. We don't really know that's when Jesus was born or not. Probably not, uh, to be honest with you. But anyway, so we have Epiphany, and that's a day. And somebody asked, as kids over here, I said, so you know why I'm wearing a Christmas tie? And they said, because it's the first Sunday of the year. I said, you're really close. You're really close. That's exactly right. January 6th is Epiphany, okay? And it celebrates the day of the, the wise men. So that's why I wore a Christmas tie after Christmas, in case you needed to know that. Just in case you're... Because, you know, let's just be honest. When you're 65, Brent, you do start losing it. Like, like I'm sitting down there just enjoying the video, tapping my foot. I'm going, oh, I'm supposed to be on stage. You know? These things happen. These things happen. All right? So so Epiphany also, not only is it a day, but it's also an event. Um, The definition, I think I have a slide that says this. A definition is um, a moment of sudden or great revelation or understanding. That's the first of the definitions. Secondly is an aha moment. When you go, oh, aha, okay? And the third one is what happens when you, when you get it. And probably, I'll say probably that that's this. You know, it's what you, when you finally get it, when the light comes on. Example, your wife comes down the stairs and she has on a new dress. And she says to you, husband, do I look fat? You, against your better judgment, decide to be honest and say, yeah, you do. She doesn't speak for three days. You can't figure it out because we're men, okay? And on the third day, all of a sudden, a light comes on. You have an epiphany and you go, aha, that's why she's not talking to me, all right? So, man, if that happens... You know, it's probably better to ask forgiveness later about the small lie, okay, than to tell your wife she might look a little overweight in a dress. Just, just heads up, Jean and I are fixing to come up on 43 years, got lots of experience. So I want you to know that. So just in case that happens to you, that didn't cost you a dime, a dime today, okay? So, so let me tell you about my greatest epiphany. I, it was my privilege yesterday at the very first game 
Cool. The very first game, I got to share my testimony um, about what happened to me, my greatest epiphany. And, and I hadn't told the story in a while, and I'll try not to take a lot of time and tell the story now. But the bottom line is, I was raised in church. I mean, I was in church literally almost all of my life. Uh, I, you know, mom took me right after I was born, and, and through my brother and, and mom and dad, well, maybe mostly mom, I ended up staying in church. I was in church all my life. And uh, I even made a commitment to Christ. <laughs> Actually, I made a couple commitments to Christ. I am really a slow learner. So, so when I was seven, a bunch of kids went down, I went down, got dunked, boosh, you know, nothing happened. Age 14, a young lady named Janelle goes down front, and, you know, Janelle was supposed to be a Christian already. I'm going, gee, I thought she was already a Christian, and maybe I'm not a Christian. So I went forward that night, boosh, got dunked again. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. But now we've got this cycle going of I'm supposed to be a Christian. And so, man, I, you know, three times a week, guys, three times a week, I was in church. If there was a work day, I was there. Uh, all these, you know, I did all, in fact, I sing in gospel quartets. I mean, starting when I was about 15 years old, started saying gospel quartets, saying gospel quartets for two and a half, three years. Um, I get up and give testimonies. Seriously, I give testimonies and people cry and weep and all this stuff, you know. And inside there's this emptiness. And the reason the emptiness was is that I had a double dose religion, but I didn't have Jesus. And, and that happens. You know, a lot of us have testimonies where we made a decision when we're younger. And, and, and then, of course, later on we figured out, whoops, you know, we didn't, we didn't figure that out. And, and, of course, by the way, if you're young and, and made that decision, you know, there are a lot of real decisions when you're young. I just didn't get it because, like I told you, I was kind of slow. But anyway, so, so eventually um, I went to church on a Wednesday night. Um, is where my roommate, I was in the Air Force, and my roommate, my bunkmate, you know, in the dorm, you know, told me he goes to this church. And so he never invited me, so I decided to go on my own. So Wednesday night, I'd go home on weekends. But I walked in on Wednesday night, and there was this group of about six girls, and there was Pooter, you know. And, and boy, yeah, like I had an epiphany. <laughs> You're like, whoo shoot that thing, you know, one of those great epiphanies. And so anyway, so the bottom line was I called her on Tuesday night, and, uh, you know, said, hey, we will to go out. And I guess we went on Thursday night. I don't know. And, boy, from then on, we were, like, like you know, stuck together. We were, like, you know, like, wow. And so we were engaged for a few months and then uh, dated for a few months. And bottom line is 18 months later, we said, I do. And uh, June 26, 1976. And in between that, though, in between that, I started going to her church. And so um, they asked me to be the worship leader. So every Sunday I would get up and lead the music, you know, did the thing there and sing specials and do all that stuff. And inside, inside there's this emptiness. I mean, I always had a big deal with guilt. Anybody here suffer with guilt? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guilt addict, okay? And, and sometimes, here's the deal, sometimes it was like real guilt. Like I would really like mess up and sin and stuff and like that's genuine guilt, you know? Problem was I didn't have anything way to get rid of the guilt. And then sometimes I just self-manufactured guilt. I would just feel guilty for, just for the sake of feeling guilty. So I knew there was something going on. But I, you know, I didn't really put my finger on it. I kind of figured out God would lie and wink at me and go, hey, you've done so many good stuff, we're going to let you in, dude. Well, on a Sunday morning, like any other Sunday morning, I got up and went to church. And we had what we call a pastor's class. And this was a pretty good-sized church, about 150 people, 175 people. And uh, the pastor would teach a class in the sanctuary before we had our morning worship time. So I'm sitting there, um, and again, no clue what's going to happen. And I'm sitting there and listening. And my pastor, Gene Weishart, starts telling a story about a deacon of our church that was driving down the road and had his epiphany. 
And he realized that he was going to church, serving in the church, and a deacon, and was lost. I mean, like, and not saved. And so Gene's telling this story, how he pulls off into the grass and gets out of his car, and right there, you know, kneels before God and says, God, I know that I'm lost, and I ask you to forgive my sins. And he talked about how that God did exactly that. Well, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my heart starts racing, and you kind of get that, that hot feeling, you know? And, and I, I won't tell you that God spoke to me, but God spoke to me. He said, Dwayne Taylor, this is your day. I don't know. I still can't figure out if it was my last chance or not. Because, you know, God's grace and God's invitation had always strive with man. You know, we, we come to God on his terms and not our terms. If, you've ever, if you're here today and you said, well, I'll get, I'll get saved when I'm ready, boy, that's a dangerous thing. Because you come when God calls you, not when you decide you want to come. So anyway, so I'm getting hot, hot flashes, you know, going on and all this stuff, hearts beating, because I know it's me. And I know I just met Jesus and he said, you know, you need to get this right and settled. So I went to my pastor and I said, hey, can we talk? You know, I'm fixing to get up and leave worship. He's fixing it up and preach. And uh, he took me back to his office and said, I said, listen, I am lost. I, if I die today, I have no certainty that I would go to heaven. And he, you know, it's so cool because he didn't go like, what do you mean leading worship in my church and you're not even a Christian? And you know, he said, well, okay, Dwayne, you know what you need to do? And I did. I mean, I, I, knew, I knew the Romans Road. I knew all that stuff. So we knelt at an old wood rocker in his office, side by side, and uh, met Jesus. I got dumped twice and got really good dose of religion, but that day, October 26, 1975, my epiphany was I met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it really did. It didn't make me perfect, obviously, but it changed my life. I know I met my Savior that day. And my life has never been the same since then. And so that's my epiphany. And I hope you have an epiphany like that. And today, we want to look at a guy who had the biggest, probably, epiphany of all. And that's the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he was, his salvation is recorded in um, Acts chapter 9. But he tells his testimony in Acts chapter 22. He shares it with a crowd and then later on shares it in front of King Agrippa and Felix. And so his story is given three different times. And I want to look at his story today and I, for two reasons. One is, I think we can learn a whole lot about sharing our story. Um, there's a great deficit today in people who can tell their story. And so a lot of folks, a lot of folks go through life, Brent, and never really get the opportunity or take the opportunity to share their story. So we're going to learn some things about sharing our story. But here's the deal. If you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus as Savior, I'm going to give you an insider's look. And so when you leave this place, if you're not a Christian, when you leave, then you can go, oh, and somebody walks up and starts doing stuff, you know, like I'm going to tell you about. You can go, aha, I know what this is all about because Preacher Dwayne told me that. But my ultimate goal is this. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, I hope when you hear about Paul's epiphany and you hear about mine too, that today you'll have your own epiphany and that you'll meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I have to give you a little bit of an intro, okay? Because it's just crazy, okay? In Acts chapter 21, I'll try to again make this as brief as possible, um, but in Acts chapter 21, Paul and some buds, some friends, okay, are in Jerusalem, okay? And, and they're there, and, and the friends that are with him are non-Jews, 
Okay? And so, so he's, he's there and he, now you understand, there's a sign up in the temple that says, if you're a Gentile and you go further than this, you take your own life in your own hands. In other words, you could die. And you may well die. Okay? So Paul, wisely, just goes in and takes, you know, not take his friends, goes into the temple, and then leaves. Okay? And so, then he goes back in, alright? And then, there's a guy there. And this guy says this, Hey, that's Paul. And Paul is, is bringing Gentiles into the temple and he doesn't even keep the law. Now, here's the deal. He assumed that. He assumed because Paul had Gentile friends that Paul had brought the friends into the temple. You're going to find out, by the way, as a Christian, that people will make assumptions about you that are wrong. Just get, get ready for that. Don't, don't let it throw you a curve if you're in life and you're doing the Jesus thing and people accuse you of things that you're not guilty of. It, it might well happen. It might well happen. You kind of expect it to happen. So anyway, boy, does the crowd get fired up. Okay? I mean, instantly. So they take Paul and drag him outside the temple gate. All right? And they start to beat him. And I mean, we're not talking about a small crowd. We're talking about a large crowd. And they're just pummeled in him. Okay? Well, word gets out to the Romans that there's a riot and all Jerusalem's in an uproar. Well, it wasn't all Jerusalem, but it was a chunk of people. Okay? And so two centurions at least and 200 soldiers go down. Isn't this cool to know all this? Go down to the outside the temple and try to quell this mess. And they can't get it under control. You know, the centurion's saying, what's going on here? And everybody's hollering at once. And so finally they decide to take Paul and take him to the barracks. All right? So they're, they're dragging him along. They literally have to fight the crowd back because they still want to... They don't want to beat him. They want to kill him. Okay? So, so they're trying to protect Paul, Paul and get him to the barracks. Well, Paul finally speaks up. And he says, hey... Can I talk to the crowd? And the centurion goes, hey, wait a minute. You speak Greek? And he goes, yeah. And the centurion goes, well, I thought you were that Egyptian guy. Another assumption. I thought you were that Egyptian guy who led 4,000 assassins into the desert. Paul said, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia. You know? So they're by, by now, they're on the steps of the barracks. And the guy says, okay, you can talk to the crowd. So here's Paul. Now, you've got to get this in your mind because it really adds power to the story. Paul turns around and starts addressing the crowd. He has been beaten, and they tried to kill him. So you've got to understand, and I'm not trying to add to Scripture. I don't need to add to Scripture. When, when a crowd is attacking you and beating you, there's blood. He is bloody. He's beaten. He's bruised. Okay? And then we're going to find out what this guy does after that crowd did that to him. Okay? We start in Acts chapter 22, verse number 1 and 2. Here we go. Brothers and fathers. Now, whoa, time out. And instantly, you got to go, huh? This crowd has taken Paul and beat him within an inch of his life. And the first words out of his mouth is, brothers and fathers. He goes on. Listen now to my defense before you. In other words, I've been accused of something. Let me speak in my defense. Verse 2. 
When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. So when he stood up and started waving his hands, the crowd got some quiet. But when he started speaking, listen, their language, Aramaic was the language that the Hebrews spoke. When he started speaking their language, they got real quiet. Lesson number one. We have to speak the language of the people. We, now by the way, that doesn't mean start cussing. It doesn't mean that at all. But what I'm saying is, listen, Paul was a bridge builder, not a wall builder. Okay? Paul reached out to these people who, by the way, once again, had just beaten him within an inch of his life. And he reaches out to them, okay, and speaks the language. He knew other languages, but he spoke the language they would understand and attempt to build a bridge to them. Church, listen. We have got to be bridge builders. There is a world out there who desperately needs Jesus Christ. And we are not going to win them by judging and condemning and walling ourselves off. You know, one of the things that we preachers really wrestle with is trying to get out into a, in the world outside of our church crowd. A lot of the people that me, Brent, and David know, and perhaps you too, your world largely is within the walls of the church or the church family. And if they already know Jesus as Savior, the chances that we're going to be, have an opportunity to share our faith is pretty limited. So we got to get ourselves outside the church family and introduce and meet people uh, that are outside the church family. You may do that, you know, you may do that with golf. You may do that with softball, basketball. You may do it, you know, going to, to certain activities. What, however it is and whatever it is, we've got to get ourselves outside of the world that we live in called church. So he builds a bridge. He starts speaking them in Aramaic. Then he says in verse number three, he continued. He goes, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem, educated. Now, listen, these are all important facts. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God just as all of you are today. Now, you notice something? Was there any accusation? Was there any judgment? Now, remember now, they just be, you've got to get this. He's sitting there bleeding by this crowd. He calls them brothers and fathers and said, I'm a Jew like you are. I was born in Tarsus. I was brought up in Jerusalem. And then, and then this is a huge one. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, everyone of those Jews knew who Gamaliel was. He was one of the most respected rabbis and teachers there was. Now, now what this means is Paul is gaining credence. My wife used the perfect word uh, used by Andy Sanders sometimes. Paul is getting leverage. He, he now all of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. You, wait, you're a Jew? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Jew. You were raised in Jerusalem? Yeah. You, wait, you're saying that you sat under the feet of Gamaliel, one of our most honored rabbis? Yes, that's exactly right. And, and by the way, I, I was zealous for God. And he's going to tell us why and how in just a moment. I was jealous, just as you all are today. He could have said, what, what's your deal, man? What, what's up with the beating? You know, they obviously were zealous, and he was the victim of their zeal. But he doesn't bring that up. He doesn't bring that up. So let's learn, as believers in Jesus Christ, to build bridges and not walls, okay? And even when we have the opportunity to judge and to cast rocks, we choose not to. We choose not to. You know in the balance, don't you? We, we lose this. What's in the balance is every man, woman, and child without Jesus Christ 
will burn forever in a place called hell. Every person. So what's, what's more important, you being proven right or them being saved? What's more important, us being a little bit uncomfortable when someone walks through the door that we're not comfortable with or them being saved? A man's soul is worth everything and anything. If you don't believe it, check that out. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, became sin that we become the righteousness of God. He endured the full wrath of God so that every man, woman, and child who says yes to Jesus, who turns from their sin to follow Him, can be forgiven. That's the deal. That's the deal. So, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 through 6, and if you're on the Bible app, by the way, you've got this scripture. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. Paul, again, in a different situation, leverages his credentials. And, and you, it's easy to think that he's bragging, but it's not. He's leveraging it for, for the advantage of the kingdom. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of ben- Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, um, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So Paul is leveraging his credentials to build a bridge and not a wall. Not a wall. You might say this, you know, um, you know um, Randy Wellburn is a member of Hellfighters. And it's a, a, motor, a Christian motorcycle organization that targets motorcycle riders to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's put this, you know, when Randy was a little bit healthier, he, he would love to go to Sturgis out in South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota. Uh, half a million motorcycle riders. Okay? Now, if I went out there, you know, with my little tie on and, you know, my, my jeans, you know, and tried to witness those guys, psh, they ain't going to listen to me. But Randy goes out there with his, with his leathers on, his, his flags. What do they call that? His what? Vest. And it's got, you know, hellfighters on the back and all of that, you know. You know, when he goes out there, he leverages that and gets an ear of listening. Okay? Hugely, hugely important. Now, what happens next in our story is just incredible. It's, it's a hard incredible, but it's an incredible. In Acts 22.4, Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty. Here's what he says. I persecuted this way to the death. Now, probably based on John 14.6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. Okay? So now Paul spills his guts and leverages something else and says... I persecuted this way, the church, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. And the first part of verse number 5, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. So he's saying that you need to know that I was one who persecuted the church to the point of death. Now you need to understand that this was Paul's crown jewel until he met Jesus. This would have made him a rock star among the Jews. This would have made him a hero among the Jews. Because they saw followers of the way as blasphemers and evil. In fact, they hated Christians and they hated Jesus. 
Okay? So, so in the crowd he's speaking to, at this point, they're going, Oh, wow. You're like a rock star. You mean you actually had people killed because they were blasphemers? Now, this is, again, it was, it was Paul's crown jewel. But now it's become his greatest regret. Now, I need to tell you something. If you're a Christ follower here, God may use your greatest regret in a big way. Now, I know we seal our lips. If there's the atomic bomb in our past, if we've had an affair, um, if there's, you know, well, you name it. You name it. Whatever the big, I'm talking about the big sins. Drug abuse, drug addiction, alcohol, you name it. Prison time, serve time. Those are things, you know why we seal our lips? What would people say if they knew? And Satan knows that and convinces us to keep our lips sealed. It had been easier for Paul to never say these words. But he was determined to use, to leverage his greatest regret for the kingdom of God. I love the story. I love the story where the guy that the four men let down through the roof. And, you know, and, and a couple of things happen. You know, first, you know, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, which is really cool. And, you know, I just stirred the crowd up. And they wanted to see more than that. And so Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And so the guy rolls his bed up. He hadn't walked. Now, remember, he's crippled. He rolls his bed up, tucks his under arm, his arm, and walks out the door. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said, take up your bed? I mean, it was old and, and had fleas in it. Why did he say that? You know why? That was a trophy of grace. Hey, Fred! What's that under your arm? Ha ha! That's what I used to lay on before I met Jesus. Let me tell you my story. I was crippled forever, and this is the bed I laid on. But then I met Jesus, and he said, hey, take up your bed and walk. And so I rolled the old bed up, and I keep it around to remind me just what God has done for me. Don't be afraid of your greatest regret. Leverage it for the kingdom. And by the way, there are people in the kingdom who need to know your greatest regret. Because they're on the cliff fixing to jump off into sin or something, and they need to know, wait, don't do that. I did it, and it didn't go very well. Leverage your greatest regret for the kingdom of God. So Paul says, I persecuted the way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. Now, if I'm guessing right, you're having a hard time imagining what that was like. So I want to help you. We actually have recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 7, the story of what Paul did. Okay, now the, the, the guy's name is Stephen. He's, the, going, he's going to be the first martyr of the church. He, all he's guilty of is preaching and telling about Jesus. That's all. That's all. So they arrest him and they mob him. They take him outside the city. Okay, and they're going to stone him. Okay, the reason they took him outside of the city was because that's where the ammunition was. Didn't find enough rocks in the city, so you go outside the city, find you a good rock pile, and there you stone someone. Here's what the book of Acts says, chapter 7, verse 58. They, the crowd, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now again, once again, to help you understand, because it's awful easy us when we think about rocks, to think about these little pebbles. Remember a guy on Baptist Men's Day, we hand out little rocks? No, more than likely it was about that. And this is a really good example because it's just covered with sharp edges. Okay? And they would circle the victim around and they would start picking up these rocks, again, this size, and hitting him with the rocks. 
And you can imagine the, the scene, the carnage, as these rocks tore into flesh and bone. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him. Now watch. This is where it gets interesting. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later will become Paul. He had a name change. I mean, can you get this now? Hey, guy, hey, um, listen, excuse me. Would you mind holding my robe while I kill this guy? Would you mind, would you mind holding the robe so we don't get blood on it? Isn't that horrible? And, and Saul was standing there. In fact, it goes a little bit further. While they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How do you do that? It's called the power of the gospel. How did Paul stand up and share his story after they beat him? It's called the power of the gospel. It's a radical, epiphany, life-changing event. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. He died. In 8-1, Saul, who was Paul, agreed with putting him to death. Apparently, Saul or Paul was more than just a robe holder, more than a cloth holder. He was consenting to their death. That's what it looked like. Now, I don't know what you've got in your past. If you're here today and you're a Jesus follower... I don't know what's in your past. But I know this. A lot of you have things in your past that you are so worried that someone's going to find out. And so you keep quiet about it. And you've got guilt and you've got shame. It just eats you alive. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, let me tell you what Paul did. Paul in Philippians 3. I love this scripture. I love this scripture. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse... Uh, verse 13 and 14 says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of this. In other words, I know I haven't arrived. I mean, I'm not perfect, he would say. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul said, I have baggage and you have baggage. And Paul said, here's what I do with my baggage. I can't actually forget it, although I'd like to. When I think about Stephen's day when the blood was splattering and I was holding their robes, when I think about, when again, I persecute this way to the death, that there is blood on my hands. I am a murderer. I wish I could forget that, but I can't. But here's what I can do. By the power of God... Through the Holy Spirit, I can choose to not let my past control who I am today. I can choose not to let my past control who I am today. That's what we can do through the Holy Spirit. And listen, look at me. That's what we need to do. Satan is whooping us. He's holding us in bondage. By things in our past that have been put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. It's time, as Paul said in Corinthians, it's time, he said, to take every thought captive. It's time for us to say, Satan, not this time. 
Not this time. My Savior bled and He died that I could be forgiven of that mess. I'm not going to let you hold it over me anymore. And you know what? If a friend of yours happens to pop up and say, Yeah, what about? Then you can go, Yeah, what about what? Because of the cross, I've been forgiven. By the cross, I've been forgiven. And can I say this real quick? If you're here today and you're not a believer, and part of the reason you're not a believer is because you've got in your head that God could never forgive you. I mean, it could be some really dark sins. I want to mention from the pulpit. Some really dark sins. And, and somehow you've convinced yourself that God's grace is not sufficient? It is. Let me tell you something. I will boldly state this to you today. There is nothing that you have done that is outside the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing that you've done. His grace is sufficient. Do not let Satan convince you that you're beyond salvation. You're not. If you're breathing today, it's not too late. If you're breathing today, it's not too late. So Paul said, I choose to forget, to lay back all this stuff. So, now back to Paul. We got, we got him on the road now. He's, he's, he's told the story. And now in verse number 5, Acts 22, 5, in the middle part, he starts again. After I received letters from them to the brothers. So he's got an authority to go to Damascus to arrest and kill people. All right, bring, actually, he's going to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem, and that's where the execution is going to take place. Okay, so I ha- I received letters from them to the brothers. Uh, I traveled to Damascus. Remember, I told you like my day was an every ordinary day that Sunday when I had my epiphany. This was just another trip for Paul. You know, the posse's out. The posse's out looking for, for Christ followers. Just another day on the road. So he travels to Damascus to arrest those who are there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. Just another day at the office. And then, verse 6, the epiphany. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, the brightest time of the day, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. So imagine he's, he's journeying toward Damascus on the road. It's noon, the sun's bright, and something, now get this, something brighter than the sun flashed around about him. You know what happened to me on my Sunday morning? The biggest thing? The biggest thing that was had me strapped to my seat, that pew that Sunday morning, was P-R-I-D-E. My pride. And something stronger than my pride released me that day. That, that pull of God towards salvation was stronger than my pride. Well, here is Paul, and his, this light is brighter than the noonday sun. He's knocked to the ground, verse 7. And he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, which again, please remember is Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Ooh, that's an epiphany. I answered, who are you, Lord? Now, at this point, now can, can you get this? You're walking along, a light suddenly flashes that's brighter um, than the sun. You're knocked to the ground, okay? 
And then you hear this voice, and believe me, it's not like in your head. It is a real voice, and you hear, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul responds. You know, who are you, Lord? Now, at this point, the word Lloyd, Lloyd, Lord, is a term of respect. At this point, who are you, Lord? It's a term of respect. I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Boy, this is big. He has smacked right in the face with truth, literally. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, smacks him in the face with truth. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's so huge that Jesus was not dead. And Paul was all wrong. Jesus wasn't dead at all. Paul wasn't, was wrong at all. He was wrong totally. He was wrong about Jesus. He was wrong about the resurrection. He was wrong about the way. He was wrong about his religion. He was wrong about his religious acts. He was wrong about the way to heaven. He was wrong about the way to graces. All of it was wrong because Jesus was alive. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let me tell you something. The cross is so hugely powerful, but don't dare forget the resurrection. Because the resurrection proves forever he is the Son of God. Again, I've told you before, a lot of good men died on crosses. Only one came back to life and stayed alive. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's Jesus Christ. So I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul goes, I'm wrong. I mean, it's like, it was literally an epiphany. I'm wrong. I'm wrong about it all. And then he says in verse 9. Now let's go to verse 10 for time's sake. I said... Paul, Paul, Saul speaking. What shall I do? Now, this is so cool. Because we often think that you can only get saved in church. You can only get saved in an altar. You can only get saved on your knees. There has to be a certain prayer that you pray. Did you see any of that? Nope. How about that? How about that? All I can tell you is by verse 10, when he says, What shall I do, Lord? Different word now. Term of surrender. First was a term of respect. Now it's a term of surrender. What shall I do, Lord? And in this moment in time, Paul Saul was radically changed. It happened to me on October the 26th, 1975, in my pastor's office, on my knees. I was radically changed. And so many of you can say amen to that because it's happened to you. You know, the new birth is not a process. It is a moment in time. It's a decision to turn from our sin and to follow Jesus Christ, believing He's the Son of God, believing He died for us, and believing He will forgive us as we ask. That's what it is. It's a moment in time. And instantly, instantly, man, what shall I do, Lord? Surrender. And the Lord said, get up and go to Damascus. And there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. He still went to Damascus... But he was a different man with a different mission. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. You know, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Again, we don't become perfect. But we become new. We become changed. So he's still going to Damascus, but no longer to kill Christians. 
No longer a Jesus hater. He's a Jesus lover. And you know what? The same, the same man who said, I persecuted people of the way to the death, would later say, I wish that I could be accursed for my brothers in the flesh. Paul said, I'd be willing to give up my salvation if my Jewish brothers would be saved. By faith in Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? Well, we're going to pass on Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. You've got that in your app, but we're going to pass that. We've got to move on. We've got about four or five minutes here. Look at verse number 11 in Acts 22. So I couldn't see, he says. I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light. I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went to Damascus. Someone named Ananias. See, see how there's names and events? It proves the validity of this. It's not, well, some guy. There's a name. It just proves it with validity of the gospel and of the word of God. Uh, someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a great reputation, a good reputation, reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. So he was blind, and now he can see. And listen to what Ananias says. Remember, Jesus hater, people hater, church hater. Now look what happens. Verse 14. He said, and I speaking, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. And you're going, wait a minute, how can that be? He killed people. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. How can that be? That's the power of the gospel. You're not beyond God's grace. Not only does he... Not only does he forgive you, he uses you. Not only does he forgive you, he gives you purpose in his kingdom. I love that. He doesn't put you on a shelf somewhere and say, well, you can just rot there now for now. Ah! He gives us a place of service. And Paul, my goodness, boy, you know, Paul ends up writing a huge chunk of the New Testament. You know, basically, let me give you an example. Basically, Paul said, you guys handle Jerusalem, and I'll take on the rest of the world. We are Christians today because Paul went to Europe and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're believers today. Just incredible. Just incredible. So, so he goes on verse 15. So since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, I like this. You know, sometimes it takes us a while. Why are you delaying, he says, and I says. Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? Get up and do and go. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, and I don't have time, but I know that seems to say, oh, you mean baptism washed away our sins? No, no. One, it doesn't line up anywhere with Scripture, but that's simply what I was saying. You might almost say, get up and be baptized because your sins are washed away by calling on His name. would be a good translation. Be a translation. But I love this because Ananias said, don't wait. Don't wait. Get up, be baptized, and go. And go. And that's the power of the gospel. A guy who hated Jesus and hated Christians goes on, is one of the greatest missionaries in the world. 
even with a past, even with luggage, baggage, he did. So how about you? Have you had an epiphany? You probably had epiphanies, but I mean, like we talked about today. Has there ever become a time in your life when you knew that you asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins? I mean, you knew it. Like I say, I can hardly remember when I was seven. I remember some details about 14, but what I remember most is nothing happened. You know why there's nothing happening? It wasn't God falling short. It was me. It was me. You know what happened when I was 21? Isn't that funny? 7, 14, 21. Go figure. When I was 21, by faith, I believed. And that changed everything. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have a time of decision um, every time at the end of our service. And my friend Brent will be standing down front. And what a great way to begin 2019 by telling Jesus you want to have an epiphany about him. You want to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I tried to explain it pretty good during the message, but Brother Brent or some of our counselors can share with you even more today. Our greatest desire today is if you're here without Jesus, is today would be the day you meet him. Today would be your epiphany. Your epiphany. And I say, in my case, I was a good guy. Paul was a good guy except for the killing thing. (laughs) It's kind of funny. You know, he did all the church stuff, but he didn't have Jesus. That day he met him. Hey, how about you? This is something we never talk about. So have you been baptized? I'm not talking about just be baptized. I'm talking about, have you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but you never got around to that obedience thing? Hey, you know what? Baptism does not save you. It does not wash away your sins, but it is one of your first acts of obedience. It's your chance. The word baptized means to immerse, but it also means to identify with. It's your first opportunity to identify and be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're identifying with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never been baptized, hey, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Today, Brother Brim be standing down front. Just going to say, hey, I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I know I'm saved, but I need to be obedient in baptism. And we'll take care of the rest. We'll take care of the rest. And, and the last thing is this. Are you ready to share today? Are you ready to share? Every one of us has a story. It doesn't have to be glamorous and all that. It's just what happened in your life. And by the way, every salvation story is huge. Amen? You don't have to, you know, you may have been in church all your life, kind of like me. You may have gotten saved when you were seven years old. You know, it's the gospel. Every story of the gospel is huge. It's huge. So what about 2019? Are you willing to share when the opportunity comes? On the golf course, on the lake, down waiting, your kid's playing basketball or tumbling, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden the person's saying, you know, I don't want to do it. My life is falling apart. Oh, that's an open door. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me, you know? And one of the greatest and glorious things is when we get to share the gospel and see a person trust Jesus Christ as Savior. So what a great way to start 2019 with an epiphany in our lives. Let's pray. Okay, God, we thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing today. I want to thank you, God, for Paul. Saul. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't try to hide his past. I'm glad he put it out there for the whole world to see and hear. And God, he did it with people that hated him. I mean, it had been so easy for me and us and even him to not share, but he did. 
Father, I know for students at high school, because it often means isolation and mockery, I want to pray they'll have the courage to share their faith. Father, I want to pray for those of us who work as we do life in Harrisburg and Sling County and, and beyond that. We've got some folks who drive in from beyond that, and we're grateful for them. But, Lord, in our world, in our sphere of influence, may we be always ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, most of all, if there's someone here today and they've got themselves convinced that your grace cannot reach them, please, through the Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself. Let them know that no matter what they've done, your grace is sufficient. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.